and I am thrilled to have you back with me on Lily High on Life. Um, I have a really special guest in the studio today, Simon Starr. Simon, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hi. So, Simon, you were a guest on Shabbat Shalom with Morris Klein and I a couple of weeks ago. And one of the reasons I really wanted you to join us was because I was listening to what you were saying, excited about what you were doing, as you are, and you shared that excitement really well. But so often I hear people talking about what they'd like to do, but, and this is their passion, however they can't, and especially musicians and people in the arts. And it's people in the arts seem to have an excuse, a reason on as to why they can't make a living and just focus on what they want to. And there you were giving us all these wonderful examples as a young married father who has a great responsibility to his family and to make a living and everything else. And you seem to be completely immersed in your passion and making a living out of music. Did I get that right? Um, pretty much most of it, except for the young bit. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's relative in life. But you're still in your 30s, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm in my oh. late 40s. Really? Yes. Well, you look like you're in your 30s. <laughs> and the fact that you are in your 40s and doing what you're doing is even a greater credit to you. So how did you organize or arrange that you really could make a living out of what you're passionate about? Well, I... I never really arranged it. I just... um, It happened. I just went about it. So I went to... I, I, you know, I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I went on Machon and then I came back and I did a year of arts, which was basically a year of sleeping. (laughs) And then um, I got into the VCA kind of against everything that I... You know, I, I had no idea how I got in and I was really not a very... not. I was the worst musician out of my whole year, and then by why the time, did you apply? Because uh, my brother did, uh-huh. so I thought I'll just do what he's doing. And had you been playing and gigging with him? Not really. I'd, we'd you know been playing a bit, but sort of just mucking around. And then um, I got in, and then uh, I liked it a lot. And then uh, and then the year I left. VCA, which was in 1994, I found that I was just uh, doing a whole lot of gigs. VCA, Victorian College of the Arts. College of the Arts. Now, it's University of Melbourne, the Conservatorium, but I was in the jazz stream. And and so by the year I left, I, I was doing lots and lots and lots of gigs. And I had, at one stage, I had nine residencies a week. So I, was, I had nine permanent gigs a week. And then I, I, you know, I was doing between nine and 15 gigs a week. And <clears throat> Excuse me, and it was just fun. And then, yeah, in groups or on your own, or you were steering them, or you were asked to be part of a gig. All sorts of things. Uh, all sorts of things. All of the above. You know, I was my first gig was playing in a salsa band with um, uh, some uh, like a Chilean salsa band on mm-hmm. Johnson Street from midnight till four in the morning every Saturday <laughs> night, which was horrendous but it meant i could um it meant i could do a gig beforehand on a saturday so i had a regular saturday night 
and then the regular midnight to four in the morning shift. And were they all paying you something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, in those days it was cash. So I had the sort of... um, It was a very alluring thing at that age to have a whole lot of cash and, you know, no responsibilities and I'd just get up late. I I was never really a late getter-upper, actually. I would get up and practice or write some music, go to rehearsal and then do a gig in the evening... And that was pretty much almost every day, and it was great. And so it was it really wasn't even planned out. It was you just went with the flow, I and the, the flow f- was yeah. working out. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've steered the flow at various times, and I've taken myself out of it. So at the end of that year, '94, um, I was going out with a girl who was living in America, and so I went and visited her for a few months, and lived in New York for a few months, and took myself out of the scene because I'd I'd really burnt myself out a bit. And then when I came back, I decided, you know, so I would say, so that's how many years, 25 years ago already. So in those 25 years of playing full-time, I've sort of oscillated between art and commerce. So there have been years where I've only played my own music or I've been involved only in projects and there have been years where I've only been just a gun for hire. Do you remember what um, the trip to America was like, what, living in New York for that short period of time? Um, Were you working there as well? Were you playing? Were you... Um, I, I... So my girlfriend was studying law, so I just had every day to myself... And it was a pretty miserable winter. So, uh, and I was pretty tired from a year and a half of gigging. So I did do, um, I did watch a fair bit of the NBA. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, that was at the coldest parts of the day. And then I would just go wandering the streets, basically, and go into music shops. I got some lessons off a, a bass player I really admired. And I went to a lot of gigs. And I went to a lot of talks at the 92nd street y and i went to bookshops and just soaked up the culture went to the museums all you know i was every day i was soaking it up was it different was there something that you brought back with you from that time there were a lot of things i I brought back a lot of inspiration i I heard a lot of music that i hadn't heard in, in australia and i'd seen a lot of players that i that excited me in various ways and uh and i also just saw how you know, New York is that massive, massive jungle and that the people who were making it um, were not necessarily the best people and the the really great people were not necessarily making it either, but everyone was just slogging their guts out. And for some people that is, you know, as you were discussing earlier, that would be a turn-off, but um, I thought it seemed like a reasonable uh, job to put my guts to is to just, you know... Um, stay my course and keep making music. Did you have the idea that you were going to check out what the music scene was like in terms of maybe staying there or what you could bring back to Australia or was it the girl and she could have been a possible marriage contender or what what were you thinking? (laughs) I know, what was I thinking? Oh, you know, we'd been going out since school she was like high school sweethearts. And, uh, yeah, I, you know... I oh, so she was a Melbourne girl that you followed over she, she there. She was an American girl who'd lived here. Yeah, gotcha. Um, who'd come out, her dad was here on business. Anyway, I, I, I didn't um, I didn't seriously entertain the idea of uh, marrying her. Uh, but I was checking out the scene, not necessarily to live there. 
I couldn't at those, in those days fathom the idea of moving to America, which strangely, after a year on Machon, living in America seemed much more foreign than living in Israel. And so, but I was, you know, I was very intrigued by the, um, just the standard, the much higher standard that was there. And it, it really inspired me to push myself a bit harder. Did that year in Israel, um, how, or must it have affected you? How, let me rephrase, how did that year in Israel um, affect you in terms of your thinking about what you wanted in life? Well, I mean, when I was in Israel uh, on Machon, all I wanted to do was work in youth movements. When I, you know, that was my life and that was really, really fulfilling. And I had no, I mean, I used to go busking with a friend of mine and we'd go busking on Ben Yehuda in Jerusalem because we were on Machon. And that was really fun. And we'd make enough money to get a liter of beer and a pizza. And I sort of developed a fairly uh, confrontational performance style, I think you would say. <laughs> it was chasing people down the street, playing, running after them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we'd take requests and have a lot of fun. But it didn't, it didn't really shape me musically at all, other than I heard a lot of great music there. What did you think of the Israeli music scene? In, then, well, it's it's not really, I, I would say it's not really, I didn't get a fair idea of what the music scene was like because I went to a Machina concert and I was, it wasn't my scene at the time, but I I, I was spending all my time with my group and we were doing things, you know, sleeping on the beach, going on Tiulim all the time, learning all the stuff you learn on Machon, we were living on Kibbutz, so there wasn't much going out to see music. Mm. And, you know, there was just doing young people when things. you talk about your confrontational <laughs> way of busking um you were a bit of an ice wolf as they say <laughs> or not exactly the quietest shyest kid on the block as you were growing up yeah yes well you know i am actually one of those sorts of not unusual paradoxes um where i'm actually really shy but uh, i have a side obviously that is not shy. <laughs> I'm very private, but I'm, I also don't mind performing. What were some of those things that you did as a child that you don't mind your own uh, children hearing about now? Almost what were the nothing. things exacerbated no, <laughs> your parents? Oh, and, my God, no. That is, that is, uh, that were is you the, the subject of, like, of, of, a, of, a, uh, of a two or three month re- retrospective. I, I can't. I was, I was a bit of a Vildechaya. And uh, wild thing. Yes, yeah, it was. It was, but it was. You know, I look back on it, and I'm, and I'm quite embarrassed about it. And one of the first things I say to people I meet from my youth is sorry. It's the, usually the first <laughs> thing I say to most of them, and because uh, I'm genuinely quite ashamed of um, now, a lot of the things I did then. Now you see, from my perspective, those things that you did then. Are the most exciting things because <laughs> you you didn't learn we learn behavior that constrains us but that wild side of us if we're if if we allow it to uh, to just stay inside us that's really what real creativity and and what really life should be about i've always you know i've always I've always uh, very strongly resisted being controlled. You know, I've never really liked that feeling. And so it came out, you know, in extreme ways when I was younger until I learned to sort of... uh, You were never arrested for anything. No, no. Thankfully, because I was, you know, good at um, 
not leaving any tracks. <laughs> so I went through a period of time where I was teaching and in America I got my green card through my teaching and I taught at a very orthodox Jewish school where I only had seven students but that had three teachers before me oh. because each and every one of those seven little boys was what were they termed absolutely wild and it was the I followed them into the next year and it was the best two years of my life I adored them because I didn't try to control them but I allowed them to be who they were and I just wish so often you know when I see parents yelling at kids or disciplining them that they would allow their children to be who they are I know it's difficult when there's a lot but that truly unleashes the inner you that you need to be. You know, I, I think I certainly got a lot of it out of my system. You know, I see a lot of people having, uh, people I've grown up with and things like that having midlife crises. And I certainly, I, I don't feel like I left anything out there. Like my childhood was, it was a fairly well explored. I sort of tested as many boundaries as was I could actually conceive of. And so now it doesn't really interest me any of that stuff anymore. And did you influence your brother or was your brother an influence on you? My brother was a great influence on me. He's two years older than me. Uh, so, yeah, he was a huge influence on me. Um, and uh, we used to play music together. We used to play a lot of sport together. I mean, we still do both of those things. And uh, we used to spend a lot of time together. <clears throat> I moved out with him one time when I finished at VCA, we lived together for a while. So, yeah, we've, we've spent a lot of time together over the years. And, and you know, as we've gotten older, I've possibly influenced him a bit as well with some of my ideas. How much writing do you actually do of your own material? And just walk me through that creative process for you. So, I always wrote stuff. I had a, a tra- My first song I ever wrote was a traumatic experience because... I had I had piano lessons for about two months or something, and the guy who I wrote this little thing and I played it to him, he says, "Oh, that's that's rubbish. You can't you can't play that." I was you know I was about ten, and I remember being quite upset. And uh, and usually when someone said something like that to me, my response was um, to s- silently plot to do the thing that I'd just done but better like I, I was never someone to be sort of beaten down by that sort of thing I would you know like the hobgoblin I'd come back again that's and, a good <laughs> thing to recognizing yourself yeah so I you know I, I wrote songs and uh, when I was I wrote songs basically that were inspired by feelings so you know at points in my life where I had strong very strong feelings I would have this urge to write stuff and uh, so that first girlfriend, that American girlfriend, every other girlfriend, my wife, birth of my children, fights with friends, fights with people, reflections on life that had stirred profound inner feelings have all stimulated a lot of writing. But also, you know, I've also written commissions. People have asked me to write things for certain occasions or I've got, uh, for instance, uh, my band Yid is doing uh, a show at FOJAM this year. And we're doing a new piece, which I've written the music to. So I've, I've got to arrange that over this next week. And I've got to do it. <laughs> so that, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not a job because I love it and I'm really excited about it. But I've been, thinking, I've been thinking about it. It's been sort of percolating in my head for the last couple of months. And then this week I have to actually 
put mouse to computer, yeah. as it were. We'd love to have you on Shabbat Shalom again and maybe do a, just a full session of your own music would be oh, wonderful be to okay. you. So you were talking about my brother and his influence on me. So my brother got me into Gilberto Gil when I was about, I don't know, 16 or 17, maybe just after Machon. And I was, I couldn't quite... I mean, it was all in Portuguese. I didn't understand your Portuguese, but I just responded some, something primal in me responds to, to how primal I feel Gilberto Gil is. He's that wonderful mix of, like, musically very, very sophisticated. He has perfect pitch. He's an incredible writer. He's, he was the Minister for Culture in, uh, in Brazil, the Federal Minister for Culture. He's, he's a very smart guy. Some of his songs are about quantum physics, it turns out. Wow. But he's... He's he's like like I was describing to you like Stevie Wonder. He's just a life force, and something with the first time I heard that song, it just uh, it just opened up my chakras, <laughs> and I was just uh, <laughs> I was you know I was I was absolutely flying, and uh, so yeah, I just you know I don't know I know my 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 brother's wife's mother loves the Macarena. I love this song. I can't explain it. <laughs> no, but that kind of visceral feeling, because as you were saying, it's about feeling. Yeah. It's not it's about getting out of your head. The more you get out of your head, the more you get into feeling. Completely. The better life goes for you. Absolutely. So tell us about this wonderful woman, Sarah, is it, that mm-hmm. you have um, chose to be your wife? Uh, well, Sarah and I met through a mutual friend of ours who I'd grown up with in Nets here and Sarah had been to school with and uh, when we met uh, we were just very familiar and it turned out once we did a bit of digging um, turned out that I mean I kind of knew this but I didn't I knew this about her family her family um, and my family on both my mum and my dad's side and both her mum and her dad's side go back generations um, my in Australia. In Israel. In Israel. And in Australia. So wow. on, on her and my dad's side, um, we, uh, we have like my, my great-grandfather and her great-grandfather helped build Rosh Bina together. Oh, wow. And then my great-grandfather brought out her grandfather and her grandmother separately from Israel before they knew each other. And there's photos of my grandmother playing with Sarah's grandmother when they were kids and my grandmother used to tell me stories about Sarah's grandfather, and uh, and then my on my mother's side, my grandfather was in the war with uh, Sarah's mother's uncle. They were wow. best friends, and they were best friends up until they both died. And they went; they were both very Anglo families, and the other ones were very Israeli. Uh, family, so you know there was a great sense of familiarity. It's it's uh, it's kind of fun that you um, describe them as Anglo and Israeli because yeah. it really sounds like it was Bashir meant to be that you guys got together. Yeah, well, I, I had uh, you know I'd just never met anyone who was that nice, basically. <laughs> and also, how old were you? We were twenty three, I think. And so we've been together for 26 years or something. Wow. And that's, that's how long time. I was in America. <laughs> and did you, uh, how long did it take you to, to know, to propose, to decide, to marry? Um, we, no, we haven't been together for 26 years. I lie. We've been together for 25 years. Next 24 year. years, whatever. Um, we, uh, uh, we got married in 2002, but the reason we got married in 2002 was because 
I proposed to Sarah in 2001, and on the very day that that happened, my brother came over with his then girlfriend and said, we've got great news, we're getting married. <laughs> and so through gritted teeth, I said, that's great. <laughs> and so we... We held it off until a few months after their wedding. Oh, that is so nice of you. Oh, it was, you know. It was, you're not, you're it was, just as nice as she is. <laughs> no, but there was just no, there was not going to be any point in, you know. Both getting engaged. Yes, crowding the, the plate. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, as I, as I alluded to earlier, I was pretty um, uh, willful when I was younger. And I was really into um, uh, book learning and came from a sort of an academic background. And I just never met anyone who, like Sarah, who was not into that at all and who was all about just being a good person. Uh, Not that I was unfamiliar with the idea, but I certainly was not uh, overly familiar with it on a day-to-day basis. Somebody who lived the the talk. Absolutely, yeah. And did she realise or did you discuss the fact that you were going to go live in Israel at some time or was it just understood or did you – how did all of that happen that you picked up with kids and left? Um, Well, we picked up with two. We came back with three, who who was ours. And uh, how did that happen? Well, we – yeah, we talked about how we always wanted to go and live somewhere else and – I only wanted to go and live in Israel, and then and Sarah had lived in Israel before. You know, as I said, she's got a lot of family there, and we both feel very strongly connected to it. So we visited it. We visited Israel twice, and then on the last trip, which was in I think two thousand, it was in two thousand and five. It was when our oldest daughter was five months old. Um, I went to Italy to do a performance and. Uh, and then on the way back, we went to Israel for a couple of weeks or a few weeks. And then I decided that's where I wanted to move. That was it. So <clears throat> music, your music career was still very much what you were fully immersed in. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, at that stage, I was in an art phase and less of a commerce phase. So I was playing a lot of jazz. I had an original jazz group with some other people who was, was all of our band and I was writing for that and I was writing songs for my own projects and recording albums of my own and I was very into that but I was still on the side sort of doing you know weddings bar mitzvahs and doing quite a bit of touring with other artists and um and I just felt like I wanted a change and just to so you've got a five-month-old baby. Do you remember what it felt like when that child was born, when you saw yeah, her coming out? Absolutely, like it was yesterday, <clears throat> like it was today. I remember it because um, I sang a song to her when she was literally in my hands, um, just born, and it was an amazing, amazing feeling. And it wasn't. It wasn't the. You know, I, I, I had been told by some cynics that it's the whole narcissistic thing and you're seeing yourself being born and all this sort of thing. But it was more just this beautiful creature just uh, in my hands and somehow I'd had something to do with it. But I could tell even then that uh, I, I, I wouldn't have much to do with what was going to happen after that and it was just so exciting to see this creature come into, into being. It was amazing. Sounds like you had a really, really close connection with Sarah from the time you met her. Did that change at all, or how? Because I know it grows and it blossoms, but how did that change after you had kids? And how did you 
get her to say yes to going living somewhere else? Or how did you, how did the grandparents <laughs> allow you to take this child? Yes, oh, it was two children by that stage. Um, yeah, well, Sarah was definitely up for it, and at that point, Isaiah was uh, he was one and a bit. How did they let us? Well, you know, we didn't we didn't exactly ask their permission. We just said, <laughs> <laughs> "This is what we want to do. This is what we're going to do." And in fact, what we did is. We bought the tickets before we thought about it too much, <laughs> and just so there would be no turning back. And uh, yeah, so and you know, Skype, all those sorts of things, of course, make it all a bit easier than it used to be. But to pick up from a life that was relatively going along at a pretty, I would imagine, good pace. What is that decision that makes? What are you actually thinking? about when you make that decision to cut that and try something completely different? Well, my, my thoughts were uh, pretty ideological. I wanted my children to, um, you know, walk the land of Israel and speak the language properly and to experience Judaism as a living thing. And not that living in the diaspora is not, but in that sense that you can I feel you can only do really in Israel and uh, and just to be really a part of you know for me Israel is is history happening right now I mean there's obviously there's history happening everywhere you are but I felt much more connected to the history that is unfolding there than here or anywhere else so I wanted them to be part of it and how do you you your background's fairly secular and as is mine. I was born in Russia, came here when I was four years old and so had went to a Jewish school so I could teach my parents what being Jewish is, but also always had that very strong connection to Israel and Zionism. How do you explain that for you? Uh, Well, rationally, I would explain it by saying I was pretty obsessed with the Holocaust when I was about 10 and I read a lot of books that I probably shouldn't have and um, and that developed in me a fairly healthy sense of otherness from Australia but I'd never felt Australian ever and like, as a little kid I was just we, we, we grew up in Burwood which was out in the sticks and you know we were the only Jews in the neighbourhood and people used to throw you know stuff at our house and spray paint our garage and all this sort of stuff and there were really? a lot of Jewish jokes and anti-Semitism out there and uh, that sort of reinforced, that polarised me a bit, I mm. would say. And then I grew up in a youth movement. I grew up in Netzer and being exposed to uh, Madrichim coming back from Machon and excited by the image they presented and learning about Zionism and all that sort of thing. So, you know, I just felt a very deep connection with it. Even when I was at King David, when I was a kid in primary school, I used to enjoy reading the Torah and uh, just reading the stories and then would often dream about what those places would look like. So... Going to Israel and the connection, it it was always a very natural thing for me. And do you feel that your kids have that connection, especially having lived there already? Uh, Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to separate what the connection is. is The connection is to their early child, earliest childhood memories, because Gabriel was born there. But, uh, you know, if it's that all the sort of formative moments of their childhood happened there or whether it's Israel itself I don't really mind as long as they have the connection but I, you know we did a lot of tealing we did a lot of walking 
we had a lot of very diverse experiences and we never really stayed at home and just hung out even though we lived on the beach or we lived on the Kinneret we would always just go and do stuff and meet people and soak it up do you speak Hebrew at home? Uh, I go through phases of doing it but you know when we were living in Israel I would insist on talking to the children in English and after two years of the six and a half years they stopped answering me in English and then I gave up after a while (laughs) and then now I try and speak to them in Hebrew and they refuse to speak to me in Hebrew they understand what I'm saying though yeah so do they get Hebrew from somewhere that they're uh, yeah well I mean Zohar goes to Hashi and they went to Tzofim when we first came back the Israeli scouts and uh, we go to Shul and listen to a lot of Israeli music and mm. um, we do you know we have often have Israeli guests coming over friends from overseas or family or things like that so that you know whenever that happens there's always a lot of chat do you and Sarah think about going back sometimes as well yes uh, frequently uh, for the first year we were back here for the first three years we were back here I thought about it every single day and uh, it's uh, something that I want to do later on definitely Mm. so uh when i was really little one of my first memories is uh is listening to the beatles with my dad and my brother and singing and then you know we we would do the dishes every night and whoever was drying out of my brother and i got to choose the record we got to listen to oh wow and so you know we it's not exactly um it's not exactly like growing up uh, cotton picking and gospel, but we used to sing a lot when we did that, and and I always pretty much chose the Beatles or the Everly Brothers or Presley, Elvis Presley, and um, and it's it that's the most visceral, the the quickest way to my heart is the Beatles. I just it excites me every time. I mean, last night I was listening. Uh, there's it's doing the rounds at the moment. Someone has taken Abbey Road. And just isolated the bass tracks. Oh, wow. So I listened to the whole album, <laughs> just the bass playing. not the, No vocals, no drums, no nothing. And that's that excites me. <laughs> and, I was, and while I was doing it, I was in contact with uh, a couple of mates who were also into the Beatles. And we were just sort of gobsmacked still listening to that. So that's, that's how into it I am. Fabulous stuff. Yeah. It's, if it makes you feel good, keep doing yeah, it. Yeah. And that's all it is. Yeah. Tell us about what you've got going on right now because you teach at two different schools. You're, you've got a couple of bands that you're part of. And I've got to just repeat again how absolutely blown away I was the other night when I went to see you perform Sipere Poogie. Um, just brought back all those memories. And the level of playing it was I was going to say it was even better than the original <laughs> but that you did you uptuned it and you you really did bring up the pace but tell us about everything you're doing now because it's all part of a life that's all inclusive of music so um so I've got uh, so at the moment I have I have a band called Yid which is a a 22 piece big band that does sort of a mixture of jazz and funk and electronica all in Yiddish that's with Husky and Gid from Basheva Singers and um, my brother and Willie Ziger and Josh Abrams a whole lot of other people and Tommy Kalinsky and um, that's great I really love that and we've got a few quite exciting things coming up some shows 
uh, around Australia and some other things. So that that's a very satisfying project that, that started since I got back from Israel. I have it in my car and listen to it all the time. Oh, the fantastic. Album. One of the biggest thrills I got of the last, I mean, you know, it struck a certain chord for whatever reason, but I'm um, walking through a park, walking through Caulfield Park last year in December, and I was walking past what was obviously some year 12s from one of the Jewish schools having a picnic to celebrate the end of the year, and they had a portable speaker, and they were listening to Yid. And that, that excited me more than anything, because just part of the idea is to get young people listening to Yiddish and to get involved with something that, you know, they don't have much access to it How anymore. awesome. And you raised the funds for it with crowdfunding, which I mm. thought was brilliant. Were you happy with the response, the crowdfunding? I was amazed. Yeah. I was absolutely amazed. I mean, you know, anything over 50 cents was going to be a bonus. And it meant that we could do it to a level that we were happy with. So with such a big band, it's really hard to record. But, we, you know, I was, I'm very proud of that, that whole process. And then, you know... Th- we launched, we, we played at Wome Adelaide uh, last year, and then we played in Canada at the Ashkenaz Festival, which was an amazing thrill, and then we launched the album. So, you know, there haven't been too many downs with that band. It's been sort of all up, which is great. Um, at the moment, I'm doing, I've been doing Sundays in July at the Classic, at, at Southside at the Classic, with a band I have called Yoni Giraffe with Jonathan Scovron and Ella Holsdorf. And we do music from Hakeves Hashishasar, the, the children's album from the 70s from Israel. And we also do music by songwriters from Israel, Shalom Chanoch, Matty Caspi, Ari Einstein, that sort of thing. That's, that's a lot of fun. We do them with jazz arrangements, but with three part harmonies. Um, in the month of August, for instance, I'm doing a residency at the South Side, the classic the South Side on Sundays, but playing my songs, and that's with Alma Ziga and Tony Gould, who's a who was actually my professor at, at university, but he's a great piano player. Um, I've got the Caveret Project, which is you know you saw on Thursday night. That's just that's a real act of passion. That for me is like doing a a Beatles night, but it's the ultimate because it's in Hebrew and you know it's an Israeli band. Um, I write other music and and the teaching gigs at at Yavna and King David. Yep. So there's so how did that happen? Well, when I got back from Israel, I you know put out a distress signal to friends, and fortunately, Skov asked me to come and teach at Yavna. And when I started there, I had two bass students, and then that's turned into more students and a couple of ensembles. Uh, which has been tremendously satisfying. And we had a rehearsal yesterday, for instance, at Yavna with the the Jewish Music Ensemble. And that went from being quite a green band of sort of people who could play a little bit, but not really. And then I gave them a chart to a new song that they'd barely heard yesterday, and they just they smashed it out. And it was, it was really exciting to see their progress, how, how far they've come. And the same thing happened in King David. You know, I did a bit of teaching, and that's turned into a couple of ensembles there as well, which is also really satisfying. I had a rehearsal there today with my Jewish music ensemble there, and that was fantastic. So that's there. And your own kids and your wife, are they involved in um, music in any way? Are they? Does it look like they might have some talent? There's definitely some talent there, but as is often the case uh, where there's talent that is identified early by an enthusiastic father it is then neglected uh because you know i i I wouldn't be upset if they didn't get into it but they've definitely got the skills to 
and the natural ears to go into music if they wanted to. I have to give you a personal warning. My mother went to a conservatory in Russia and studied piano, and I do not play a note because <laughs> she made yeah. it so horrible when yeah. I practiced. Yeah, yeah. Well, my <coughs> yeah, I, I look. I, you know, they're all. I would at home. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of dancing. And if whatever they do beyond that is fine. Although I, I must say, if they do practice, my oldest daughter at the moment is learning piano. There are certain repeat mistakes that I find it very hard to tolerate. But uh, <laughs> tolerate. But yeah, 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 I'm fine, thanks. But yeah, so yeah, and I also I also teach at Monash Uni, which I love as well. And yeah. your wife, has she, she been involved at all? Uh, Sarah is more of a patron of the arts, a very enthusiastic singer and dancer. But she's never done any performance performing. She's she's an artist. Like when we were in Israel, towards the end, she was making a living as an artist, working at a sort of I don't know what you'd call it, kind of a gallery slash homewares place where they made everything by hand. Mm. So yeah, uh, she's very amazingly talented in that with her hands. I'm very talented in the shower. If I oh, step yes. out of it, people complain. <laughs> right. but I love, um, I absolutely love what you do and really want to thank you for coming and, uh, and chatting today. The really big uh, thing I'd love people to get out of that, out of this uh, talk with you today is that you can live a happy, healthy life. You don't have to uh, do things you don't want to do or that don't feel good in order to make a living. You just ask yourself the question, how do I make money from what I love? How do I make a living from what I love? And every single moment that you're not feeling good is a wasted moment because you don't know how many more you've got. I completely and heartily agree. We don't have a mansion, but, you know, we're absolutely fine. You know what? Whether you've got a mansion or whether you get a mansion, you're going to be happy anyway. And that really is the, the secret of life, to appreciate what you've got right here, right now, and then better and better things come along without you having to ask for them, want them or anything else. So Completely. Thank you for being such a 